And indeed, all glory be to Christ. Now, if you've got your Bibles, uh, please turn with me. Uh, We're going to look at three sections of Scripture, if we may, starting uh, with this uh, chapter that we've been uh, studying together of recent, uh, which is Acts chapter 1. And already we've spent longer here in Acts chapter 1 than uh, I perhaps originally anticipated. But as I've begun to see and to understand the importance of the fact that we need to get our basics right, the basic doctrines of the Christian faith, the core, if you like, the part that's right in the middle, that's absolutely vital for us in our Christian lives. We need to do that. And indeed, the apostles we in, and the disciples, they needed to have these reminders before the coming of the Holy Spirit that we see in chapter 2. And sometimes we can be very impatient and perhaps want to move into chapter 2 before we have understood all of the important uh, uh, doctrines again to, uh, to relate and to keep them central in our lives. So I'll actually read from verse 4 rather than verse 9. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore... <clears throat> When they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they were looking steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And then I'd like to ask you to turn to uh, Mark chapter 16, just a couple of verses uh, here. Mark chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. And then we turn over into Luke 24 and uh, we'll just read the verses 45 to 53. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Sorry, uh, Luke 24. That's correct, yeah. And he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. And I'll just say that again. 
because it tells us what we should be preaching. And it strikes me that some of us are struggling to know what it is that we should be preaching. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And so this morning we are continuing, as I've mentioned in our studies, looking at these basics of the Christian faith, the basic or core doctrines of our faith. Uh, And sometimes um, we can forget or we can allow our minds to wander from what it is which is absolutely central to us in our Christian faith. And so far we've been able to look at this chapter here and We've been able to see these foundations and the first one that we were able to consider and which is very poignant as we're coming up towards this Easter time, we looked at the resurrection and the fact that without it, we have no gospel. That's the reality. If it had not taken place, we would be speechless. We'd have nothing to say. People would come along and talk to us and we'd have nothing to say in return to them. We wouldn't have our faith. There would be no gospel to proclaim. And then we've spoken about and considered the kingdom of God and the fact that this kingdom is instilled in all who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the exciting thing is is that this kingdom is continuing to grow throughout the whole world. I was listening to a fantastic uh, an article on the BBC Overseas Service about the way the church is growing in African countries at the moment. And I think it was the country of Uganda. And the guy who was the, the, uh, the reporter wasn't saved. He didn't have any real idea what he was talking about. But he said, there's something real that's going on here. He said, I've lived in Africa all my life. And sometimes we see things that aren't real that are happening. But he said, there's something different here. Because people are coming to faith in a very, very real and positive way. And then he quoted like something 80% of that country would call themselves evangelical believers. And we're seeing that in other countries. There is something that is going on. And you might say here in Canada, well, we don't see that. I tell you what, there are things going on. In some of our big cities here in Canada, there are some incredible things that are going on. There are churches that are growing as people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're seeing what we've been warned about, what we've been taught about, what we've been encouraged about happening And that is that this gospel will be preached around the whole world, that all nations will hear and will understand. And there are things taking place at the moment that absolutely should thrill our hearts. In Matthew 24, our Lord Jesus is speaking and he tells us, he says, uh, beginning in uh, verse 4 of chapter 24, he says this, take heed. Now, what does that mean? Well, very simply, it means this, stop what you're doing and start listening. 
And the reality is, is that sometimes we can be so busy doing church that we haven't actually got time to listen to God speaking to us. We haven't got time to listen to his word speaking to us as we should be. And sometimes we can get so caught up in the frenzy of the activities that we're trying to do. But Jesus said in verse 4, he says, take heed, stop what you're doing and start listening. And our Lord has been talking to, uh, uh, to the disciples here. Uh, and, and, and we need to stop and to listen to see what it is that he has to speak. And he's speaking to us as believers. He's speaking to us as Christians. He's speaking to us as churches because believers make up churches and that is who we are. And then in verses 5 to 13, our Lord explains that in the last days, things will happen, things will be said, things will be taught that will all herald the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, for example, that many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And it's true. Never before have there been so many people who have started to say, I'm the Christ. Or we know where he's coming from. So I'm sat in, a, uh, in an airport, this is about 10 years ago, in Dubai. And it was uh, uh, just waiting for a change of flights to go on to Hong Kong. And I'm sat there and... Uh, uh, a guy comes and sits beside me and we have a chat conversation, quite an interesting one. And then he turns to me and he says, the savior of the world is coming. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, this is going to be interesting. And then he says, he's coming from Korea. Okay. Now, the problem with that statement is, is it's not true. Okay. Uh, the problem is, is not what God's word says. So the savior of the world has come. And we heard all about that this morning as Rachel led us with our, our young people. But he's returning again. And it's, it's not from Korea he's coming. Just want you to be absolutely sure of that. It's not from Korea. Nor is it from Nigeria. Apparently there's half a dozen uh, saviors that are just getting ready to come to Nigeria as well at the moment. And, and, and that's not what's going to happen. Okay, so, so we discover that there are many people that talk about this. Some people will say, well, nobody will know. Okay, that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures are very, very clear. In verse 6, Jesus says that you will hear about wars and nations rising up against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there will be famines. And pestilences. Now, another word for pestilences is diseases. Has anyone heard of COVID-Z? That's the next one. The Chinese are trying it out for us at the moment. <laughs> and uh, about 60 people in Britain are also giving it a go at the moment. And they don't know what it's going to do, but this is not going away. Okay? There'll be earthquakes. And our Lord Jesus Christ says that all these are going to be signs that the end is coming and that Jesus is returning. What's all this got to do with the ascension? Bear with me. But in verse 6, our Lord also reminds us not to be troubled. Now, I've just got to take my jacket off because it's getting warm up here. Um, I'm very enthusiastic and excited about our message this morning but uh, because... We've got to start taking some of these things seriously. We've got to start listening to what God is saying. We've got to start reading the scriptures and understanding 
uh, what is going on today. So in verse 6, our Lord Jesus says, don't be troubled. Now, you're thinking to yourself, earthquakes? Well, I've never been in one. I don't think so. Uh, Famines? Food prices are going up 30% in Ontario this year. And you know what, friends? There are some people in our own province who are beginning to feel what a famine feels like because food prices are becoming very expensive. And Jesus says, don't be troubled. What he's saying is, don't be troubled. Just take note, listen, watch, hear what's going on around you. And then our Lord Jesus goes on in verse 9 to 13, and things are getting, getting really tricky now because he says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by all nations. Why? For my name's sake. For Jesus' name's sake. And they may well be offended. Will betray one another. And will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And all of this reminds us of our Lord right the way back at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, when he says, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things against you falsely. I've said it before, and we've discussed it together. The world doesn't like Christians. That's the reality. You can be the nicest person that there is. But if you're a believer, you will find that the world will be, there will be animosity between us. And then we get these words, which come as a shock to many of us. But we see this happening all around us. Listen carefully. Talking to people who call themselves Christians. The love of many will grow cold. And we're seeing this at the moment as never before. The world is changing and many Christians, even believers, are asleep. They aren't reading their Bibles. They aren't concerned about what's going on around them. They're sleeping. I read that COVID during the last two years, now that things are beginning to settle down, it's not gone away, but things are beginning to settle in some respects. And it has seen the emptying of many churches. And you'll say to me, yeah, well, they were all the liberal ones that didn't know Jesus was the savior of the world anyway. It's not just churches like that. And the scriptures warn us that people's faith will grow cold. And the statistics I read is that some churches are seeing a 40 to 50% drop as people are growing cold when it comes to their relationship with the Lord Jesus. I can stay at home in the comfort of my easy boy armchair, complete with cup holder for large Timmy's coffee, And I don't have to go to church. I don't have to meet all those people, the fanatic evangelical ones that turn up for everything. 
and keep saying praise the Lord and hallelujah. But then comes the words of our Lord in verse 14, and it is these words that tell us that now the end will come. And this is exciting news for us. We should be rejoicing at this point, because here we have real news, true news. There's no fake news here. And we read this, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Now do you see why evangelism and the proclamation of the gospel is so important? Now do you begin to see why the scriptures have this great emphasis about going into the world and preaching the gospel? Now do you see why it was given as a commandment from the Lord Jesus to do this, to go into all the world and to preach the gospel? And last week we considered what sort of witnesses that we should be and we considered it from the perspective of hard times and difficult times. And now this week... And for the next, uh, uh, it'll not be next week, but the week after. So we'll finish this message uh, in two weeks' time. Uh, we're going to look at these three verses where we have recorded for us of the account of the ascension. And we've read them together in Mark's gospel and in Luke as well. The return of our Savior to heaven. But this morning, we come to uh, look at the words that we have here. Uh, to look at this doctrine, and it's a doctrine which many churches just ignore, the doctrine of the ascension. It's not something we preach about often. It's, you know, we're great at Christmas, Easter, but the ascension is something that we don't speak about that often. And so this morning and in two weeks' time, we plan to uh, look at this very, very carefully. As believers, we're great at dealing with the incarnation, as I've said, at the death and at the burial resurrection. But when it comes to the climax of our Lord's uh, life and earthly ministry, the ascension, we don't talk a great deal about it. But it is vital. It's very, very important. In fact, it's so important that if it had not happened, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have come. And it's only the Holy Spirit that's enabled the church to go from that locked up a room with a bunch of People who were afraid to walk out. And here we are meeting in a barn in Norwich, Ontario. And we're talking about the same core doctrines of our faith that they were. We've got the same excitement and enthusiasm that they had. And it's a joy to be able to do this. So it's very, very important that we understand this. And so this morning I want to start by sharing uh, one of three of uh, three meanings, if you like, of the Lord's ascension. So first of all, what did it mean to Jesus Christ, to our Lord himself? What did the ascension mean to him? And we're going to entitle that his exaltation. And then in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to consider, secondly, what does it mean to us as believers today? And we're going to call that edification. And then thirdly, we're going to talk about what does it mean to the world at large? What does the ascension mean to the world at large? Now, if we went out and conducted a survey in the streets of Norwich, well, Norwich might not be the best example, actually, of a town to do that randomly. But you'd discover that most people have no idea what we're talking about. 
And we're going to call that condemnation. Now that word condemnation is a very serious word. But that's the state, that's the position that the world is in. It's condemned. And so if you want to remember what we'll be talking about for the ascension, what it really means, just remember these three words, exaltation, edification, and condemnation. So first, what does the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ mean to the Lord Jesus himself? And you might think this is a bit of a strange way to come at it. Well, it means exaltation. It means he is lifted up back to his father, back to his home. You see, our Lord was anticipating returning back to heaven. That's where our Lord came from when he was born on earth. He was not born in the same fashion as you or I because he existed before he was born. And he existed before he was conceived. In fact, he existed before his earthly mother was even conceived. Because he's existed for all eternity. And our Lord said himself, I came down from heaven. Friends, I can't stress this enough. And I need you to listen very carefully, particularly some of our young people here. Origin is vitally important. Where we come from is vitally important. Now, I come from Great Britain, which obviously makes me very important. But where we come from is important to us. You know, you can take the Englishman out of England, but you can never take England out of the Englishman. doesn't matter how hard you ring him, it just won't come out. You see, Jesus' origin was heaven. And that meant that whilst he was down on earth, he had to return to heaven. Because that's where he came from. That's where he belonged. That was home. And so his origin meant that that's where he would return. He would return to heaven. Because origin determines our destination. If we are born and we remain in our earthly, worldly, natural state, then our origin determines that heaven is not an option for us. Do you understand that? Your origin determines your destination. And if your origin is earthly, worldly, a natural state, in other words, nothing spiritual, you've never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then heaven is not your destination. Hell is your destination. Because that's where the world will end up. However, if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you receive from him new life, if, as the Bible says, we're born again, then everything changes because our origin changes. Do you begin to see the importance now? Because no longer are we from the world, but because we've been born again, 
We are born in heaven. Sometimes people say to me, you know, when I get to heaven, the reality is you're already there. It's just that you can't quite understand it at the moment. Because that's where we are born when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're born in heaven. And because our origin has changed from the earth, from the world, from the natural state, and it has changed to being born in heaven, then that means our destination changes when we die in this world. Because our destination suddenly becomes heaven. Why? Because that's where you've come from. Now, the world can't understand any of this. And perhaps you're sat here this morning thinking to yourself, don't get it. I I just don't get it. But I assure you that when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're prepared to surrender your life to him, suddenly, in an instant, you'll discover that you are no longer from this world. In fact, you've become an alien. Not with little... But you're an alien because you don't belong here. You belong in heaven. Do you see why it's so important that you look at your origin? And I want you all to go away and to think about what's my origin Where am I from? Okay, change of beat now. In Luke chapter 9, the Lord Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and he meets a man, a father, whose only son, you know, tells us a lot about him being his only son. His only son is demon-possessed. And this father had brought his son to the nine disciples who were still left below who had not gone up to the mountain, uh, verse 40 of uh, Luke chapter 9. And we read these words. He said, so I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do it. And Jesus answered and said to the disciples, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Can you just hear You know, what, 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 what's in our Lord's mind and voice? The angst that there is contained there. Could, 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 could you imagine what it cost the Lord Jesus Christ to be on earth with these people? Even if it was now and he came amongst us. To listen to the pathetic conversations. With the ridiculous things we talk about. It would be like Albert Einstein having to sit in a kindergarten all day long listening to a group of little kids with meaningless chatter. It would be like a, a, a great musician having to, like poor old John there, having to sit with a load of people that are tone deaf, with a load of instruments that aren't tuned Could you imagine going home and having lunch with him afterwards? It would be terrible, wouldn't it? How long shall I bear with you? 
How long? Now, certainly our Lord loved the people that he ministered to. We see that all the way through his ministry. He would talk to the people that no one else would talk to. He touched lepers. No one would get within a million miles of a guy with leprosy. But he touched them. So he loved people, but it must have been stressful, if you could possibly say it like that. He didn't do like Jonah, who preached the word of God in hatred. Our Lord preached in love. But you can imagine what it meant for the Son of God to spend those 32, 33 years here on this earth and to endure not only suffering from sinners, but to endure the heartache and the disappointment that came from his own people. Now you and I expect unsaved people to react the way they do. But when a Christian does something that hurts, it hurts even more, doesn't it? Because it takes a diamond to cut a diamond. Our Lord anticipated going back to heaven, absolutely. And yet whilst he was here on earth, it certainly must have cost him something. In verse 51 of Luke chapter 9 we read, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set, that, let me read it again, that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and from this point on in the Gospel of Luke, it's all about Jerusalem. It's all about going to Jerusalem. And of course, this brings us quite neatly to Palm Sunday. And we know that as he entered into the city, the people waved palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna. But this was just part of the journey. And he continues on to the cross but it's still only part of the journey. He continues on beyond Jerusalem, back to heaven. Now the Lord Jesus told his enemies that he was going back to heaven. They, they, they had no uncertainty as to what was going on. In John chapter 6, in verse 62, he makes a very, very drastic statement when he says this. He says, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? You see origin? Over in chapter 7, verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. What does that mean? It means they were going to arrest him. They were looking for any excuse possible to arrest him. And then Jesus said to them these words, and I need you again to take these words in and to actually hear what's being said. Okay, then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer. And then I go to him who sent me. And then he says this. And if this doesn't make you think, I'm not sure what else I can say to you. Except that the Lord in his graciousness speaks and continues to speak to you. Jesus said this. He says, you will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now, these are powerful words. And you don't want to hear those words being spoken to you. Now, later on, he said to his own disciples, and he said this. He said, that where I am, there you may be. 
So what's the difference between the two groups that our Lord is speaking to? Very simply, it's this, faith. That's the difference. Here were people who rejected him and resisted him. He said, I am going where you cannot come. How tragic that was. That people could go to heaven and they won't. So he told his enemies that he was going back to be with the Father and he told his friends that he was going back to be with the Father. John thirteen thirty one. Therefore, by the way, um, if you want all the texts, and I, I had a conversation with someone, I'm trying to work out how to do this hovering over the Bible text so that if you have our church app, then you can see all the notes and all the scripture references if you want to go back and to follow them through. So if you haven't got the church app, make sure you get it. Talk to um, uh, Denise. She's a clever girl, and she'll help you to be able to get that or somebody at the back there. But John thirteen thirty one. Therefore, when he has, uh, was gone out, meaning Judas, Judas leaves the upper room. Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God be glorified in him... God shall also be glorified in him, in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Now, the word glory is mentioned many times there. Can you imagine that Jesus knew that Judas was about to sell him for 30 pieces of silver? And all Jesus could do was talk about glory. That's tremendous. And I wonder how many of us, when we're facing a crisis or some difficulty in our life, some sacrifice that we're facing, when we're facing our Calvary, whatever that is, whatever it may be, we don't talk about glory. We talk about suffering. But Jesus talked about glory. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You shall seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I go you cannot come. So now I say to you. In other words, right away, you're not going to be able to come with me. Then Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Simon Peter says to him in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now. But you shall follow me afterwards. I like that. He also said to Peter, what I do, you know not. But you shall know hereafter. Aren't you glad about the hereafters in Scripture? And you're glad about the afterwards that are spoken. And so he tells his disciples, we're going to join together. One of these days, we will be up in heaven. Rohit, I say this graciously, but I'm looking forward to meeting your wife one day and talking more about some of the things that you guys have had to go through. Because she's in heaven. So the ascension is also a guarantee. 
It's a promise. I came from heaven. I'm returning to heaven. You have been born again. You will return to heaven because that's where you've been born. And then, of course, we come to chapter 14. Again, I think some of Deepti's favorite Bible verses. In my Father's house are many mansions. And I go to prepare a place just for you. Isn't that special? We aren't treated like some mass group. Just for you. And if I go to prepare a place just for you, I'll come again and I'll receive you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. And that's the joy that we have as believers. All the way through his upper room discourses, our Lord assures his disciples, I know where I am going. I'm going back to my father because that's where I came from. Verse 12 ends in chapter 14, because I go to my father. And then we read in verse 28 in chapter 14, you have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to my father. For my father is greater than I. And so he told the disciples, his friends, that he was going back to the father. And in fact, he told the father that he was coming back. John 17, in his high priestly prayer, our Lord says in verse 11, Now I am no more in the world. Verse 13, but now I come to you. It's a marvelous thing. Where is he going? Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. Verse 5, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And so the ascension meant for our Lord Jesus Christ exaltation. Exaltation from suffering into glory. From rejection to coronation. From separation from the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To fellowship with the Father, with the glory he had before he came to this earth. And the whole story is given for us in Philippians chapter 2, reading at verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, emptied himself, took upon him the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Therefore God also has exalted, highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And it's what Peter preached at Pentecost. This same Jesus has been made Lord and Christ, his exaltation, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We close with a little application. 
Um, there's a great deal being said these days. You know, you go to some churches and you get the idea. And some Christian books too. Some Christian, you know, TV films and things. And you get the idea that Jesus is weak. Some of, the, some of the pictures we see, even on cards that are given to people, you know, you, you see him, and there's a sense of weakness that is portrayed. I need to tell you this morning, all of that is wrong. Because Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He is almighty in heaven. And he can do for you things that you cannot even begin to imagine. Because he is all-powerful. He's not washed out. He's not tired. He's not weak. And I wish that if people were to pre pre uh, uh, present Jesus in these ways, that they would understand that this is not the Jesus that we have and we just get the idea, gentle Jesus, meek and mild... Sometimes even, and I say this with respect, the images you see are somewhat effeminate. That's not the Jesus that we have. I want you to know that the Lord Jesus, who is watching over you right now, is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I want you to know that today, he is on his throne in glory. And he has all authority. And you and I can stand tall because he has all authority. We don't need to be afraid. We don't creep around in the darkness hoping people don't notice us. We can stand tall. We don't have to flinch. We don't have to quake in our boots. I've heard people apologize that they're Christians. That's terrible. We don't have to apologize. Friends, we're not representing some sort of half-baked kingdom <laughs> that might totter if the United Nations was to fall over. We're representing the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he's exalted. He's passed through the heavens. He is far above all principalities and powers and every name that there is. And when you pray, you're praying to the one who has authority to answer your prayers. And power to answer your prayers. And some of us require a great deal of power when we look at our lives. Exhortation. He's gone back to heaven. He's finished his earthly work. Salvation is complete now. He's gone back to heaven. So the question remains is this. And I take us right back to our little geography lesson. This is the question that you go away with. So listen again. What's your origin? Is it still this world? Is it still this earth? 
Is it still the natural state that you were born in? Do you know that your origin hasn't changed? And you know that your destination is hell. But if your origin has changed, if you've been born again, if you have placed your trust and your belief and your hope in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you have recognized his death, that he stood in your place, a substitutionary death on the cross, if you've repented of your sin, if you've placed all your hope in him, and you can call Jesus your Lord, and you've heard the Lord calling your name and welcoming you into his kingdom, then your final destination will always, always be heaven. And we can rejoice in that. So today, change your origin. And in doing that, you change your destination by receiving the Savior and allowing him to make you into a new creation with a new origin.